Let's open up our Bibles over to 2 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 12. Coming to grips with suffering. No one likes to suffer. We go to great lengths to protect ourselves and our loved ones from suffering of any kind, and that's appropriate. I think we would all do that. We do that the best we can. After all, who likes to see someone suffer? When suffering comes, of course, it can literally turn your world upside down. It is no fun. It is very unpleasant, and none of us desire it. Now, we've, in this series, already looked at many reasons for suffering. Let me just quickly mention them. The first reason there is suffering to begin with is because of sin. And when I say sin, I'm not talking about rebellion. That is a separate one. I'm talking about sin entering the human race. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. Because of sin and death, because of sin entering into the world, because of the curse of sin on the world, that is why we have the problems we have. That's why we have pain. That's why we have suffering. That's why we have disease. That's why we have death. That's why we have war. That's why we have killing. That's why we have hatred. That's why we have jealousy, strife, abuse. All the problems you can think of will go back to sin entering into the world. It's amazing how widespread it is, but this is the reason. This is the bottom line. That's why it's important when, let's say, a loved one is taken away and somebody said, why did they get cancer or why did they get this or that? Why did they die? Why did God do this? God didn't do it, okay? God didn't do it. That's a result of sin entering the human race. There wouldn't be any of that had not sin come into existence. So let's understand that. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this is a very helpful truth because I realize that when these things happen, there is in fact an answer, and the answer is not God did it. The answer is man did it. So let's let the Lord stay where he should be and where he is, and let's not try to take him down to a lesser level than who he is, King of kings, Lord of lords, the one true God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, God who loves us. This is the God of the Bible. We also saw number two, their suffering, so that people will turn to the Lord and be saved. We've seen one major reason for suffering is because of the ignorance of God's word. People don't know what God says, and so they make the wrong decisions based on their feelings or their ideas or the way they were raised and this and that leads to all kinds of problems. Another reason, the result of rebellious living, just plain, flat out, you know, if a person overdoses on drugs and they get in an accident and they're, you know, maimed for life or whatever because of that, or, you know, they're, they lose a limb, let's say, because of that. Well, who do you blame? Don't blame God. God didn't do it. You've stepped over boundaries, you've defiled your body, you've hurt yourself, you've sinned against God, and sometimes you pay the price for that right away. Another reason for suffering is the chastening of God. God uses it to discipline his children, to teach them to lean on him. Another reason for suffering is to suppress faith in ourselves. Now this starts getting a little deeper, and this is what we talked about last week When we face suffering and difficulties, what does it do? It drives us to the Lord as God's children. That's the way it's supposed to be. God never made us to live independent lives. He made us to live dependent lives. 
And so difficulties come into our lives. Why? Because God is either sending them or allowing them to where we say, help, I need help. Father, help me. And we go to the Father. And that's exactly where he wants us, walking by faith. We realize that we are not equipped to handle life on our own. Here in 2 Corinthians, what we're going to look at in just a second here, 2 Corinthians is a, I never put it in these terms before, I don't think in church, maybe I did and I forgot, but 2 Corinthians is an interesting book. Now I know I have said this, if you publish 2 Corinthians, it would never become a bestseller. The reason is it deals with the difficulties of the Christian life. In many ways, 2 Corinthians is autobiographical by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about all the problems he had in his Christian life. It is the direct opposite of a book like written from Joel Osteen's standpoint. Your best life here and now. Well, I'll tell you what, if Paul's life was the best life here and now from a simple observer's perspective, we're in a heap of trouble. But... Paul talked about the difficulties in his life and what those difficulties did, and it ended up bearing fruit. See, God has a bigger thing going on than what we oftentimes see. Look at it, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Now, I know I mentioned this last week. God allowed Paul to see things that no one had ever seen. He was caught up to the third heaven. And so what God did, God brought something into his life to keep him humble to keep him leaning on him. And it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that God gave him, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Okay. Notice that he was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know specifically what the thorn in the flesh was. It's kind of interesting, though, that term is part of our English vocabulary today, isn't it? Now, many times we use it referring to people. Man, that person is a thorn in my flesh. They may say the same thing about you. (laughs) We don't know what it was. But look at verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he, the Lord, said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, will I rather glory in my infirmities, look at this, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, this passage here, this not only deals with number six, but also with number seven. Number six, again, to suppress faith in ourselves. When the trials and the suffering come into our lives, those things should drive us to the throne of grace. We need to learn to live at the throne of grace, dependent upon the Lord, trusting in him. That's what it means to walk by faith. That's what it means. By the way, folks, it's not like a lot of your uh, TBN programs have, okay, faith in faith. They think faith is the savior. Faith is the thing you put your faith in. No. And if you have enough faith, no. It's where your faith is, is the issue. Okay? A little faith in a great big God brings great results. A lot of faith in a false God, such as yourself, brings no results. It's all make-believe. 
God brings these trials to suppress faith in ourselves. But seventh, he brings these trials or this suffering to demonstrate the power of God in our lives. And that's what we see in verses 8 through 10. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, when we are weak, we have no choice but to trust in the Lord when we are experiencing suffering. And what does that do? That brings the opportunity or the, uh, not that God needs an opportunity, but that brings the time when, when the Lord comes into the picture very clearly and he provides what we need to get through that suffering or to maintain, to stay with a good testimony during that time of suffering. Listen, folks, sometimes the suffering doesn't go away. Now, we as people, you know what? We have our finite little minds, and we as people, we look at that and we say, oh, you know what? If I just could, I'd take your suffering away. Well, that is a good thing, and that's a loving thing, and that's a noble thing. But can I say today, caringly, maybe it's better for the glory of God that that suffering doesn't depart from your life to keep us humble, to keep us trusting, to keep us to where the Lord can say, this suffering is keeping your pride at bay, therefore I can shine. People see me working in your life. To demonstrate the power of God in our lives, the Lord wants our weakness to lead us to experiencing his strength. You know he wants us to know his strength? He wants us to know it. And when I say know, not just know that it exists, Know it in an experiential way. Because what will that do? That draws us to him. He becomes more precious to us in times of difficulty when he is providing and he is delivering through that. Look with me to Philippians chapter 3. I am convinced that only a believer can understand this verse. Only a believer. By the way, there's a lot of scripture that way. Until you have the spiritual eyes that God gives you when you get saved. That's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The ability through the Holy Spirit to understand the things of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. You have to be able to understand, but the only way you can is if the Holy Spirit's living inside of you as a believer. Now you can see the words... And you may understand definitions of words, but to know exactly what this is like that he's talking about, that's only for the believer to get. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You see, if we learn from our suffering, we will be able to look back one day and share with others how God worked in our lives for good. Human to think, well, you know what? I think I'd rather not have the suffering, but that's not up to us. That's up to God, what he brings into our lives. Romans eight twenty eight. what's it say? For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. No, all things work together for good. See, God is still in control. God knows what he's doing. And nothing comes into my life that he either didn't send or approve of coming into my life. And so I can understand, I can think, I can realize in my mind, no, Lord, you know what? You knew this was coming. You knew it was coming. Lord, I didn't plan, and this didn't happen to me, by the way, but Lord, I didn't plan this morning on the way to church to get in an accident. 
But you allowed it. You might say, how is that good? It isn't necessarily good. It works together for good, though. It works together for good. Because you know what? If we are being faithful in spite of the suffering, in spite of the difficulties that we are going through, then you know, sometimes what happens is that difficulty that we go through, we end up in the emergency room or we get in an accident or this or that gives us opportunity for the gospel. Well, let me ask you, what's more important in God's mind? My comfort or somebody being delivered from hell for all eternity? That's an easy one, isn't it? By the way, if you wonder where that concept is found, read Philippians chapter 1. Very, very clear. Or how about times when you've been going through tremendous difficulties, demanding circumstances, and yet you still must do your job and function and come through? These are times when what do we do? We cry out to the Lord. And what does he do? He's strong on our behalf. Why? Because one of the reasons for suffering is to manifest his strength in our lives, to let us know how great he is, how powerful he is. Look with me to Psalm 37. Many verses today, folks, I really recommend writing them down, highlighting them in your Bible, maybe memorizing them, having these things in your arsenal to where when things do get difficult, when you do come under times of suffering, trial, tribulation, These are things we can fall back on that will give us some solace, some peace. Psalm 37, verse 39, but the salvation of the righteous. Now the salvation mentioned here is not talking about going to heaven salvation. The word salvation means deliverance. By the way, most times when the Bible talks about salvation, it's not talking about going to heaven salvation. It's talking about deliverance from difficulties in life whether they be enemies or difficult circumstances. Sometimes those can be the same. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. The deliverance of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. Look at that. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Why? Because they trust in him. Our sufferings are pushing us to the throne of grace, to trust the Lord, to depend upon him. And when we do, what happens? In our lives, God shows himself strong on our behalf, and he, and he alone, gets glorified. And by the way, that is kind of the bottom line of all of this, that God is glorified. The great late Bible teacher, Dr. M.R. Dehan, the original M.R. Dehan, not his grandson, He said this in his book, Broken Things. A little piece of wood once complained bitterly because its owner kept whittling away at it, cutting it, and filling it with holes. But the one who was cutting it so remorselessly paid no attention to its complaining. He was making a flute out of that little piece of ebony. And he was too wise to desist from doing so, even though the wood complained bitterly. He seemed to say little piece of wood without these holes and all this cutting, you would be a black stick forever. Just a useless piece of ebony. What I am doing now may make you think that I am destroying you, but instead I will change you into a flute and your sweet music will charm the souls of men and comfort many a sorrowing heart. My cutting you is the making of you. For only thus can you be a blessing in the world. That's a big 
answer to why they're suffering for the believer. Let's move on. An eighth reason for suffering, to manifest God's love in our lives, to manifest God's love in our lives. I dare say, folks, this is not one we think about very often. This may not sit well at first to a person who is in the midst of intense suffering of some kind. I mean, humanly speaking, when we are deeply suffering, is this something we're even thinking about? Oh, I'm suffering. God loves me. Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? It's not a contradiction. How does it work? See, it can be difficult to comprehend and embrace that idea. And by the way, this is not something I would share personally one-on-one with somebody who is suffering because there's a good chance I would end up suffering. But it is necessary for our growth and effectiveness in the future. You see, it's a matter of perspective. There is something that God wants to teach us about himself. And sometimes he allows deep, difficult suffering to come into our lives. That at the end of that, as we have gone to the throne of grace, and he sustains us or delivers us from that, we come to learn. And listen, it's a very personal thing. It's a very personal thing. How he does it in my life and how he does it in your life many times are different. But we come to learn that, you know what? I've learned God loves me through this. Remember, the Lord is always looking at the big picture, yet he is concerned about the details as well. But the big picture is his bigger concern. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Look with me to Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verse 8. When this tragedy comes into my life, or when this condition comes into my life, or this suffering of one kind or another, might be temporary, might be permanent. Yes, it would be easy humanly speaking, to get bitter. Lord, why did you do this? Lord, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to live like I should as a believer. I mean, it's not like I'm out sowing wild seeds out there. It's not like I'm being a filthy, rotten person. Lord, you know. You know my heart. Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Folks, do we think, and yes, we do, do we think that when we are suffering, are we thinking about the compassion of God? No, we're usually not. We're thinking about we're suffering. That's what we're thinking about. But you know what God needs to keep doing with us? He needs to keep reminding us. You know what this shows? It shows how far away our thinking is from God's thinking. And by the way, he's not going to conform to our thinking. We need to conform to his thinking. Hard lessons. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. Look at verse 9. The Lord is good to all. That includes the suffering believer. I'd say I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that with what has come into my life. Listen, I'm not making light of this. God is driving us to the throne of grace. It's growth time. Time to grow as a believer. Everything the Lord does in our lives comes from his love for us. You say, I don't understand it. Just trust in the Lord on this. 
And I don't mean that in a pithy way. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. All your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. Years ago, I heard this. It's always been with me. Don't ever doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Don't ever doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. To manifest God's love in our lives. Think about it this way. If a little child is riding a bike and falls down and really skins up his knee badly, he'll probably start crying and very possibly he'll cry out for mommy. What does she do when she hears him? She drops what she's doing. She runs to the child. She puts her arms around him and comforts him. Emotionally, what does this say to the child? Mommy loves me. It's going to be okay. And you see, there's that in time of distress and difficulty and suffering, there is that time of realization that, you know what? God is loving me with an everlasting love. My father has allowed this to come into my life. It's because he loves me. It isn't because he hates me. It isn't because he wants to see me suffer. No, he's full of compassion. He knows what we're feeling. But when in times of difficulty, we know the comfort of God, there's help in that. There's comfort in that. There's a lesson that we can learn. Okay, listen, if you've ever had a difficult trial, I've had trials in my life at different times and I can think back and I'm not going to talk about them, but I can think back at different times in my life when I've been in a situation of literally, literally crying out to God for help. Well, he allowed that to come. And what happens through prayer, through crying out to God, through bathing myself with the scriptures, you get to the point where there can be a breakthrough in that. And you come into the realization. It's like you enter into a room that is the realization of the love of God and the assurance. Hey, it's going to be okay. You're in my arms. I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. Relax in me. I'll take care of you. And we realize at times like that. You know what? My father loves me. He loves me. Folks, that would not come had we not gone through the suffering into that realization. Let me show you another one. Psalm 139. A few pages back from where we're at. Psalm 139. And by the way, isn't it interesting? A lot of these verses, where are we finding them? In the Psalms. The biggest book in the Bible. We need the Psalms. Oh, listen, pity the saints today, these ultra-dispensationalists. Well, you know what? Uh, That's all Old Testament. That's not for us. Just Paul's epistles. Just Paul's epistles. Why don't you just publish Paul's epistles? Now, Paul's epistles are awesome. We spent a lot of time in Paul's epistles. How many of you are glad you have the book of Psalms? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's what I thought. Every hand, I think, is up. What do you do with that if you're an altar dispensationalist? You shouldn't be there. That's no trespassing for you. Stop it. Only Paul. Idiotic. Psalm 139, verse 17, folks, this is true. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. See, when we are suffering and the Lord either sustains us or delivers us, we start realizing how much he loves us. We start understanding his heart so to speak. Suffering and tragedy opened the door for us to realize his love. The Lord knows just how and when to step in. 
Go back to Psalm 34. Well, not go back, but go there. Psalm 34. Remember, this is to manifest God's love in our lives. When the suffering comes and we go to the Lord and he comes to our aid, and that is what we need, right? We become more grateful for him. We fall more in love with the Lord. We are more desirous to walk with him every day. You know, the Lord is unique. That's no news to any of us. Do you know, sometimes I'll say, uh, well, any, any age it can be true. Not so much with kids, because kids are so forgiving and so non-critical. But as we get older, we become difficult. You meet somebody new, uh, oh man, boy, I really like that person. That person's great, this and that and that. And as time goes on, you get to know them more and more and more and more. And it's like, I don't know about this. Of course, they're at their house going, I don't know about this. The more you get to know them, the more you see problems. You know what? Just the opposite with the Lord. The more you get to know them, the more you want to know them. The more you love them, the more you want to love them. The more you serve them, the more you want to serve them. Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Do you see that? Believer, God is looking at you. He is looking at you and me, whether we are going through suffering, whether we're not going through suffering. It doesn't matter if we are at our lowest times. He's looking. He's watching us. His eyes are upon us. His eyes are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. Hey, eyes and ears. You know what that represents? Full attention. Full attention. Might say, I don't see how he can do that for me and for somebody else at the same time. He's God. That's how. I'm always amazed on Wednesday nights and we have our Bible study and prayer time together and churches all over the world and Wednesday nights, a lot of them have a Bible study and prayer time on Wednesday nights. And here's, here's all these prayers going up to heaven, all these prayers, millions and millions of prayers going up to heaven, all at the same time, all specific. I'd say, it's overload, it's overload. No, it's not, not with God. He hears every one like it's the only one. Think of that. And that's our father we're talking about. Psalm 34, verse 17. By the way, at the end of verse 15, his ears are open unto what? Their what? Cry. That's a suffering person right there. Verse 17. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh or near unto them that are of a broken heart. Sometimes that broken heart, matter of fact, many times is linked to some suffering experience they've gone through. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. You might say, I've been living with this for 30, 40 years. He hasn't delivered me. Day's coming when he will. When is it? I don't know the answer to that. Wouldn't it be great if the rapture took place today? We're out of here. By the way, he teaches us and brings opportunity for us to know his love. Sometimes he does this in our lives through other believers who are his hands and feet, so to speak. When there's suffering and other believers come to our aid and they pour out their love and care to us, we recognize that the Lord is in this. 
There's a reason it's called the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this in verse 25, that there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. By the way, do you see the word same? You don't just care for some, throw the rest under the bus. Care for everybody. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's the way it's supposed to be. So why does God allow the suffering? Well, to manifest God's love in our lives. We're going to close over in Ephesians chapter 1. Turn there with me, if you would. Ephesians chapter 1, to manifest God's love in our lives. You know, I know more today than I've known ever in my Christian life that God loves me. I know that better today than I've ever known it. Do I fully get it? No. Do I understand it as well as some believers? I don't. I don't. But I know it better than I did. Doesn't it just make sense that part of the reason I know it better than I did is because of some of the difficulties God has brought into my life over my lifetime? Same with you. Isn't that true? Wouldn't you agree? You might be here today and you're listening to this and you're saying, you know what? I don't get all this, but... I want to be part of this. <laughs> a personal God? I thought God was just some mean old guy like Santa Claus, but on the mean side. You know, sort of the Mr. Hyde part. And uh, he's just waiting to throw lightning bolts down and, and get me and wreck me and pulverize me if I step out of line and all that. Man, you're talking about that God is a personal God who, who loves people and he wants to take care of them and stuff. Yes, that's the God of the Bible. Yeah. How does he become your father? How do you become a child of God? Well, you, you need to trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. You might say savior from what? Now, you know, a lot of you just heard what I said and you say, oh, this is so basic. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people who don't have a clue about that. That's why we get so simple on this. That's why we try to explain it every week in detail because there's a lot of people who have never heard this. Friend, w watch this. This is, what, this is what you have to believe. I'll illustrate it. This hand represents you and me and let my wallet represent all the things we do wrong. Remember, sin entered the world. We are born sinners. This hand represents you and me and my wallet represents our sin. The Bible says this, God loves us, he hates our sin. Our sin separates us from God. Now to go to heaven, all of your sin has to be gone. You have to be sinless in the eyes of God. It all has to be forgiven, all has to be washed away. We've got a problem, we're sinners and we still sin. And by the way, you will sin, unfortunately, till the day you die. Because we're humans and we have a sin nature. God says our sin has to be paid for. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. I would have to die physically and spend forever separated from God in hell if I'm going to pay for my own sin. Religion says you pay for sin by doing good works. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It says very clearly good works will not save you. Remember, to get to heaven, the sin's got to be gone. Here we are as sinners. What good is it going to do to cover all that sin with good works? It doesn't take it away. It just We're trying to cover it, but God knows it's there. You have to be forgiven. Your sin has to be gone. How do you get the forgiveness of sins? It's not by works that we do, okay? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. What, what does that mean? 
God was merciful to us. God was gracious to us. God knowing there's nothing we could do to get rid of this sin. He entered the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, this hand representing him. And when Jesus went to the cross, all of our sin of our whole lifetime, he took that upon himself and he made the payment as our substitute. That's how much God loves us. For God so loved the world, that's me and you, that he gave his only begotten son. And the Bible says this, that whosoever believeth in him, believes what? That he died for us and rose again. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. He gives you everlasting life. You go to heaven, not on what you do. You go to heaven on what he did for you. Now, if you think, okay, well, you know what? I I can't believe that. That's that easy believism stuff or or whatever you want to call it. I can't believe that. I think I've got to, you know, be good and do good things too if I want to go to heaven. Then what you're saying is this, you'll be responsible for your sin. Well, God says, if you're going to be responsible, there's only one thing that you can do, suffer forever in hell. How much better to say, I'm going to accept the payment Jesus made for me. I'm going to put my faith in him. And when you do, friends, the payment is put to your account. God gives you everlasting life, okay? Jesus takes your sin. He gives you salvation in exchange. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In whom ye also trusted, the whom there is referring to Jesus, in whom ye also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, which is what you just heard. The gospel of your salvation is what you just heard, that Jesus died, paid your sin debt, and rose from the grave. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. You see... You can't lose your salvation once you have it because you're sealed by and with the Holy Spirit. It's not behaving yourself that keeps you saved. It's God who keeps you saved. That's the way he saves. He only saves eternally. He only saves forever. If you're not saved forever, you're not saved at all. Okay? If you're having to, you think you have to maintain your salvation by the way you live your life. You're trusting in your behavior to get you to heaven. That's works. No, you trust in Jesus Christ once and for all that he paid for your sins on the cross. And when you do, he gives you everlasting life. And then the Holy Spirit comes to seal you. He seals you and he keeps you saved. Not you. He lives inside of us until we go home to be with the Lord. If you've never trusted Christ, would you trust in him today as your savior? God wants to be your father. You need him more than you could ever know. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.